in a discussion on the Christian spiritual life, it is valuable to focus on the biblical doctrine of spiritual gifts. So I'm asking you to turn this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We could write a book on spiritual gifts, on what the New Testament teaches about it, about how what, what it says would affect how we think and how very often this is an area of error and confusion, tragically. It was so in Corinth in the first century. Why should it be any different today? In post-Christian America, where if you turn on the television and it says Christian, you get an abuse of this topic, spiritual gifts. And so, um, I can't write the book today, but there are a couple of questions I want to ask that I think will help us think rightly about it. First question is, um, as we'll read 1 Corinthians 12, why spiritual gifts? In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told, for whom? You can look it up, but Ephesians 4 says there's a grace gift of the Spirit to every believer. Every one of us is gifted by the Spirit. That's the who. What? What is a gift? There are two or three schools of thought on this. I'll tell you mine, based on what I've understood from the Scripture, just to kind of summarize, to get us into the what's it for. What is a spiritual gift? One view, and this is the one I disagree with, okay, One view is that a spiritual gift is an opportunity to serve. Like in the military, you would call it like a billet, like a job to do. That that's what the spiritual gift refers to is the opportunity or the occasion to do whatever the thing, the gift is. Like a pastor would, there'd be an opening to pastor in a church and someone would fill that and then they would receive that gift. And I think Ephesians 4 doesn't let us think that way. What God does in giving a gift to you and equipping you to use it is he makes you a gift to the church. In Ephesians 4, that's my understanding of what it is. So it isn't uh, just the occasion of ministry. Your gift could be in you. You could be what you've been called to be without expressing it. You may not have uh, an occasion for whatever circumstance in your life that, of choices that you've made. You may not be expressing your gift, but you have one. What I think spiritual gifts are is special capacities, special capabilities, because they're all action words. Prophesying, teaching, shepherding, exhorting, giving. These are gifts of action. They're capabilities to do things. In our culture, we, the kids are very intrigued by the, the modern mythology. Modern mythology shows up in the form of comic books, supermen, superhumans. It's the same thing that the old Greek and Roman gods were. It's the same thing. They're just super, they're humans, but they're superhumans with their little soap opera stories. And what's intriguing about them is, and what sells the little kids to, to buy the comic books, and it's been so since they first started them, what, what gets people is, is that everybody's got a special ability. What's your special thing? Right? That's what, that's what it is. Uh, what's, 
what's the difference between that and spiritual gifts? It's a special capability. It's just not flashy. You can't draw a picture of it, but it's life. Now, spiritual gifts mean you are specially equipped by the Spirit of God to function in a specific function that God has kind of marked you out in your spiritual DNA from your new birth. It's what you're made to be. And so you grow up into that. So why, <clears throat> why spiritual gifts? I think you had a suggestion in Ephesians 4 probably. Yeah, for the edification of the saints. Yeah, read it. Oh, well, no, don't, don't read that. I'm just Let me come stand over here and let you read it. We'll pick it up on the microphone. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Amen. For spiritual maturity of the believers so that we grow up into the character of Jesus Christ. That's why spiritual gifts. Now, is there another word you could say that describes what we just read? I could call it God's plan for your life. He wants you to grow up spiritually. He wants you to glorify Him. He wants us all to, to draw together in this maturity so that we're reflective of God and His glory. It's God's plan for you. And if I say it's God's plan for you, then I can say it's God's desire for you. What's another word when we're talking about what someone wants for you? That's the best. This is it. Love. This is, um, this is how you think about other Christians. If you love them, if you want what God wants for them. As we talked last week about the power to love, which is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. The love of God is shed abroad in Romans 5.5 5 in our hearts. It's an expression of God. It's the command of the Lord Jesus, love one another as I've loved you, right? Love, love, love. Well, well, can't there be more to the Christian life than that? Well, let's think about that. Once I've done loving, once I've completed the task of loving, what's left? Because loving is wanting for another person what is God's best for them. And when I'm talking about other believers, spiritual growth and the glorification of God through godly choices and further disciple-making for those who grow spiritually. That's the call. That's the mission. So your spiritual life and advancing that is the most loving, I think, loving thing I can do as a Christian. There are lots of facets to that. There's teaching, right? There's lots that goes into you growing spiritually, being equipped and serving. There's hospital visits. Huh? Yeah, because somebody that's, that needs encouragement needs it. And that's part of their development but it's all towards an end we're so silly right we think it's how the person feels like that's the end in itself and in the moment yes there is a sense that that's true but because of a greater goal it's hard to think in terms of strategy while you're doing tactics it's hard to do big picture things sometimes while you're doing little nitinoid things that person's crying. Let's go soothe them. That's Romans chapter 12. You weep with those who weep. That person's hungry. Let's go feed them. Well, we're just meeting needs and satisfying desires, but we're doing it in a big picture move to Ephesians 4, 12 and 13, the edification of the saints, the spiritual growth that's required, that's described. So 
I think, watch this with me, I think what's going on in Corinthians with the spiritual gifts is a failure to love while uh, an illicit, a wrong-headed expression of, of miraculous gifts, of revelatory gifts, which have since passed away. I think what's going on in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 is they've gotten confused about why we have spiritual gifts. So let's just, let's take it chunk by chunk. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of Christ says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the gibberish things that, uh, <laughs> that um, might be passed off as foreign languages. Not today's gibberish necessarily, but if you say Jesus is accursed in, um, in Aramaic or in Greek, it sounds like something else that's glorifying to God. And it's a, it's a counterfeit. So he's warning them against counterfeit gifts. But in verses 4, moving from counterfeits, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all. And so the diversity that God has encoded into the body of Christ, there is diversity of gifts, is not expressed except connected to the unity of the power and the giver, the Spirit of God. And so we should not think differently than unified then everyone is an exponent of God's grace everyone is back to him it's about him and that's what makes us capable of serving the more you and I disregard God toward one another and start looking at each other the more fractious the more divisive the more the less unity we're going to have because you know what every one of you has a little bit different take on tastes and preferences and things that you're interested in and things that you like that are very important to you. The way you prioritize your feelings. That's a very complicated thought, but everyone's different the way we do that. We're vastly different just in our personalities. You add a difference in spiritual giftedness because everybody has a different allotment. And the only hope we have for real unity, as Paul is saying, is to go back to God, back to the one spirit, the one God who's the giver. There are various effects, but the same God who works all things in all. Verse 6. Now in verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When I read common good, I think we're headed towards 1 Corinthians 13. Love is peace. Love is patient. Love is kind. The common good? Now we're getting close to my functional definition of love. That God so loved the world that he gave means that he considered what we needed, what, what was best for us, and so d- acted on it. So he wants and desires and acts on the best for us, the common good. And, he, and that's, again, Ephesians four twelve and 13. Now, so it's, it's for edification. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, I am a cessationist, and I believe that the revelatory spiritual gifts that gave us, in part, the Bible have been completed. I think they've ceased with the early church. I think that sometimes Paul was able to uh, send a handkerchief from his person. Here, take this to the person, and it would heal them from from touching him in, in, I think, Acts 18. 
But then in Philippians, he is not able to heal Epaphroditus, the pastor who's taken the letter from the Philippians to him, who, who's, who almost died of his illness. So in one case, Paul is able to heal, but later he's not able to heal. And that tells you that there is something going on called temporary. There's a temporary sense of these gifts. That's just one example of just because God gave it doesn't mean it, doesn't mean it stays. Eutychus, oh Eutychus, third floor, falls asleep in the window, falls down dead, breaks up the prayer meeting. Everybody says, well, I guess we can't hear the last message from Paul. Oh, no, 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 no. Eutychus just bought us four or five more hours of Bible teaching because Paul resurrects or resuscitates and brings him back to life. And then he sits up and nobody needs a cup of coffee because everyone's awake now. And we have the, 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 the teaching courtesy of uh, Eutychus's death and resuscitation. There are all kinds of miraculous gifts in the early church, but we believe they've ceased. And this has been the experience of the church. It's been the experience of the church. And a lot of language and, um, and discussion on spiritual gifts comes down to experience. And this is why it's so challenging. Because the Bible doesn't tell you what your spiritual gift is. It really is a matter of your experience. You may go through your whole life and not know what one of these labels to put on yourself as Paul lists them here and in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, the, the gift lists. Because he doesn't give an exhaustive list in any passage, he just says these are the kinds of gifts there are, capabilities. I have two main points today and I've just kind of uncovered one of them. You don't know what your gift is. But you do know you have one. Ephesians 4. So what does that look like? I think it's this way. But it's DNA. It's your new birth. It's what you're made. You're created new in Christ Jesus unto good works, which, you, which he prepared beforehand that you would walk in. You're not going to express the fruit of the Spirit until he's working in you to express it. And that's going to grow. We saw last week, love grows. First Thessalonians 3, the love that you start off with as a new believer is this expansion that God brings about. And we call it spiritual growth, the capacity to love. Through the word, through your spiritual life, through your walk in dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. As you take in his word and you're saturated with it, as you talk to God back and pray what, your heart to him as he's revealed himself to you through the word. As you grow spiritually, you are going to grow in your capacity to love. It's Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. So as you grow spiritually, you're going to grow in your expression of your gift. You're going to be what you're called to be. You're going to grow into that expression and you don't have to worry about labels. Worst thing in the world to me is a spiritual assets inventory, spiritual gift inventory, where you take a quiz on a Scantron with a number two pencil to tell you what your interests are. I think it's neat to know where you stack against other people on your interests. But I don't think that the theology behind that of well, we'll figure out what your interests are so we'll tell you what your spiritual gift is, that's, I think that's inane. I think it's impossible to do that. The reason God doesn't tell you what you are, I wish he would have stamped me, right? When I, the new birth, give me a little stamp, tell me what I am so I'll 
grow up toward that. The problem with Samson in his life is his parents are told he's going to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Well, he tells his, the Lord tells his mother. His mother forgets that part, and then Manoah, the father, doesn't know what to do. Like, how do we raise this boy? And the angel of the Lord says, ask his mother. I told her already. And Samson grows up, and he doesn't really understand who he is or what he's for. And that's a horrible thought. It's a great fear. But see, God didn't tell you what your spiritual gift is because you don't need to know. <laughs> you don't need to take a quiz that some human makes to tell you what you're interested in. You don't need to take a personality test to find out your spiritual gift. What you need is to grow spiritually so that you are more and more expressing the character of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I grow spiritually, I find myself interested in some different things perhaps. I find myself capable of things that are aligning with that new interest. And that capability and that interest, that's your spiritual gift. That's what you're supposed to go be doing. If you um, needed to know how to know, Paul would tell you in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and it is the corrective of the Corinthian error. They have missed the point of love by exalting themselves in their giftedness. I've got tongues. It is flashy. I can speak foreign languages, not gibberish, but I can speak foreign languages that exist at the time that I don't really know. And that is a manifestation that the Spirit of God is undoing Babel. And so since I can do that, then I'm better Christian than you are. And uh, oh good, the tongues folks showed up, the tongue speakers, the, the language people. And they're the flashy and they're making distinctions because that's what the Corinthian baby believers do. They make distinctions among themselves instead of focusing on the unification we have in Jesus Christ. So listing the gifts. One is given the word of wisdom. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 8. The word of wisdom through the Spirit to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. I think the entire list in 1 Corinthians 12 is a list of early church revelatory gifts that have passed. And people that say, no, faith is a gift that God, I don't think he's talking about you and I expressing faith in God as our constant walk in life. That's, a, that's like telling someone their spiritual gift is love. Now, everybody does this. This is a special thing that was going on back then. But the one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit has a sovereign determination about what your giftedness is. So if you're gifted by someone else with something and now you have it, can you strut? Can you say, oh, look at me? I mean, that's the point in the passage. This is a gift. It's the grace of God. You don't deserve to be what you're gifted to be. God graced you out. You're supposed to say, uh, God knows what he's doing. I don't why he would gift me with something that becomes a stewardship for me to use in a capacity to serve him. I don't deserve, I don't think, see, I think it's very presumptuous for us to, to praise God. Oh, praise the Lord. I think it's very presumptuous. Who am I? 
to use my vocal cords, my air, my lungs, who am I to give God praise by saying praise him, glorify God? Well, think about it. Sinner, but I'm saved by grace. I'm a born-again son in a royal family. I am adopted into the beloved. I am seated with, the, with Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father and the baptism of the Spirit. So actually, by God's grace, all those things are true. Nothing to do with me. So by his grace, I am what I am. So I can open my lips and praise to him. I can glorify him with what I say. And he is pleased to hear it. But I don't deserve that. I won't get credit for expressing my spiritual gift or praising him. It's all grace, in other words. And that's what the Corinthians don't understand. In verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So just like your body has many parts, the body of Christ is one, so we're, we're connected. Boy, talk about familiar, familiarity breeding contempt. That's, that, that's an intimate association. We're all part of the same body. He's talking about, think about your physical body. Your fingers are all talking to each other. They're all connected. You know, cut this finger I hurt, right? The whole, I'm, and he's going to talk about that. For the one spirit, we were all baptized. By one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Uh, Referring to spirit baptism, the baptism that makes you part of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now, who receives the baptism of the spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13? Super spiritual Christians like Paul or carnal, rotten Christians like the Corinthians? Who receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Can you say based on 1 Corinthians 12, 13 that it's a second work after faith? That it's a second work of grace once you've really attained? Even if you've gotten into an emotional um, frenzy or something? You can't because it says we were all baptized into one body. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is coterminous. It's at the same moment that you believe in Christ, it is the new birth, at the, at the same time of the new birth that you're unified to Jesus Christ. And I take it that way because he says we were all made to do this, to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot says because I'm not a hand, I have no part of the body, it is not for this reason that he's any less part of the body. And if the ear says because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would a sense of smell be? I'm starting to feel like that that thing we did in in summer camp, Boy Scouts one year, where we're we're having uh, the rallies. We're having uh, canoe rallies. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. You've got six kids, well, three or four kids. These are big canoes, I guess. Three or four teenage boys um, with blindfolds. And one guy in the front with, with his eyes open, and he's telling the guys how to row, how to paddle the canoe to get through the obstacle course. Oh, the, the, the thing's spinning around and bumping into each other, and the kids, you know, the kids at various levels of frustration, and it was just horrible and delightful. But, uh, but you know, it's one of those things you kind of have to practice because you're not coordinated. First of all, turning a canoe is counterintuitive. The way you turn a canoe is you paddle on the opposite side that you want the thing to go because you're pushing the water. It's, it's, it's Newton says you're pushing the water this way, it pushes the boat that way. I believe him. It works. So, so uh, I can't, my mind doesn't ca- calculate Newtonian physics very well, but I believe it. So, um, 
So you're, you're trying to steer this canoe and you're this, this coordinated thing because you've never worked together because, um, because everybody's got their job, but they're not really good at their job yet. You see, this is, this is a picture of working and living in the body of Christ. Um, because first of all, what's the mission? Like if we can't even agree on what we're here for. The big problem in America today, we don't know the mission anymore. We think the mission is the lifestyle and it's not. And that would be a waste and we struggle. But um, in, in this passage, you need every piece to do its job for the, for the body to walk properly, to live properly. In verse 18, now God placed the members in each one of them in the body just as he desired for if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. So there's no cause for jealousy. When you say, well, I want to be this spiritual gift. Well, wait a second. That's God's determination. It's his sovereign choice. And that's his prerogative. And he knows better than we do. And he knows what we need to be. He knows what he wants us to be. So that's the way to think about it. So you can't be, be arrogant about your own gift. And you can't be looking down on someone else about their gift. What we have to do is grab every one of us, each one as we can, and encourage each other to grow in the Lord so that we can each express our gift to its best. Do you take vitamins for your, uh, for your eye health? The Ocuvite or whatever? You, do you take stuff to help you with specific areas of your body? I've been, uh, I've been reintroduced to the wonders of infla- uh, anti-inflammatory uh, herbs like, like curry. There's another word for it, but I like to call it curry, but it's that orange thing, okay? Don't, do, don't take too much of that. But anyway, uh, that's because my back hurts. So I take that and it helps my back, I guess. It probably helps my back. I feel better the next day when I get up in the morning. It's easier to get up out of bed um, after, you know, after being still. If you have, a, if you have arthritis or, or back problems, if you stay still in the same position for more than you know, an hour or two, like, which is required for you to actually sleep and get the necessary <laughs> recovery from sleep, your body gets kind of uh, stove up. And then you have to break through all that to get out, to get up and move. And it hurts as we get older. And um, so I, I got a back thing. So I take an anti-inflammatory for my back and it helps that. And so think of that. The, the body is, is the whole thing, but I've got this one place that needs some help. And so I address it. So I work on that part so that the whole thing works properly. And that's what, he's, that's what he's getting to here is that everybody's got their job. Everybody has their role. And we need to all be 100% behind each person's function. Each cell in this body needs to work properly. And so, there's, so the idea, the spirit of competition completely goes away. Because the Holy Spirit is empowering. He's gifted everyone. He's empowered everyone. You can't compete with the Holy Spirit and he's not competing with himself, right? So this is a totally different way to think about being a Christian than the Corinthians do. And this is how we are with our sin nature. We always go to competition and self-righteousness. Let me skip down to verse 27 as we close this morning. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. He gave order, he ordinal listed those as in terms of priority. Why did he do that, apostles? Because there is a revelation 
of the Word of God for the edification of every believer that is the whole thing about spiritual growth and putting on Christ. And so you have to have these revelatory and communication gifts as the priority, as he says. Now, God's in charge of that priority. And everybody has to do their job. Let me give you an example. If you are the machine that cures, uh, let's see, if you're the machine that keeps the person alive, okay, that's the body, the machine. You could say that the integrated circuit that keeps that thing running, that gives it instructions and, and measures and, and everything on the, on the respirator machine, that that's the most important piece because it's the brain of the, of the operation, okay? But the ground plug on the, the ground uh, thing on the plug is just as important in terms of the thing functioning as the integrated circuit because without power, the thing won't run. So you have to have it grounded. You have to have a, a, a ground for the electrical circuit to work properly. So in that, in that illustration, we wouldn't say, well, the $4 part or the, the 40 cent part is less important than the integrated circuit. We just say they have different jobs and, and they have their, their role. And well, I want to be the 40 cent part. Well, I want to be the $40,000 part. Well, that's God's decision. That's God's determination. And really what matters is your relationship with him as you submit to him. <clears throat> All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles. All do not have the gifts of healing. All, not, all do not speak with tongues. All do not interpret tongues, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. What this doesn't mean is that you want this gift to be given to you. What it means is that you want to be associated with the prophets and the apostles and the teachers. Right? You want to be associated with those that are giving you the revelation of the word of God so you'll know God on his terms. The miracles, which are testimonies to that word. And I'll show you a more excellent way, and this is the point of the second big point I had today. Spiritual gifts are something that you grow into. Remember that first point? You don't need to worry about what your gift is, but you need to grow into its expression. Otherwise, you're wasted. You're a wasted uh, uh, gift because it's got to grow up to have some expression. But th the second thing I want to say is the purpose of the spiritual gift could be summarized as love it is a special capacity that enables you to love other christians a special capacity that enables you to love in a specific way he talks about the worthlessness of tongues and prophecy and knowledge without love and then he describes love the more excellent way is not to worry about what my gift is, even if I know what it is. The more excellent way is to focus on love as my responsibility. And as you ask God the question, how do I love this person? Very often your interests and your capabilities will align to show you, by God's grace, a way to love this person that turns out to be giftedness. If you're loving and your love is growing and you're growing spiritually, you'll express your spiritual gift. You'll want to. You'll be thrilled to. You'll do it. So don't worry about it, but don't waste it. Father, we thank you for the spiritual gifts you've given us by your sovereign determination. Thank you for the privilege we have to recognize when we 
are walking by your spirit and when we're not. Thank you for the promise that you've given us that as we grow, we'll be what you want us to be. Help us rest in you as we reach forward to that which we've already attained. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.